welcome to the AccuSprout Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, Mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. So remember, diagnosis in Chinese medicine is like following an algorithm of hypotheses and deductions, right? So we have a problem with the neck. We have to say, okay, what are the possible things that can go wrong with a neck and the shoulder, right? What are my channels potentially involved? Since I'm an acupuncturist, right, the most important thing for me is going to be what channels are involved. Does, that, does it need something else besides acupuncture? And then based on what I'm thinking, 
based on what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing, then I confirm that from palpation. I confirm it from palpating the patient's body. I confirm it from palpating the patient's pulse. And then eventually I confirm it by palpating potentially active treatment points, right? The potentially active treatment points will confirm or deny my eventual diagnosis, right? Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. I actually really appreciate that because that's one of the things that I think that we all need more training in is is the thought process, like the deduction. How are we going to get where we need to go? What questions do we need to ask ourselves at this point? So right. I appreciate exactly. that. That I would honestly uh, rewind this podcast backwards a little bit and listen right. to all those questions again because that was very important right there. Yes, thank you. Right. Hey, Aki Sprouts, welcome back to the show. Today I'm talking with Henry McCann. And we originally recorded this episode to share a case study with you. But what has been happening with my case studies is that they get really, really long. So I'm breaking this one up into two parts. And this is part one. So in part one, we talk about, well, first of all, we get to know Henry. Henry teaches Dong-style acupuncture at a couple of colleges in a couple of doctoral programs. And he also teaches some classes at the master's level as well. We dive into a little bit of the history of Master Dung. And then also too, we talk a little bit about what it entails as far as the type of needling, which Henry calls distant, um, and also how it relates to the systems in the body, which I found mind-blowing when I was in school. And we talk a little bit about that as well. One of the things that comes out in this particular podcast, and this is why I separated them, because he's a teacher, he was actually able to address a lot of the new practitioner challenges inadvertently, which was fun. There are a lot of pearls in here that were unexpected. You'll find that there's a lot of me sharing my insecurities, my insecurities about learning systems and why I chose orthopedic acupuncture as my predominant way of treating when I first started and why now I'm ready to go learn this system. We also, at the very end, talk a little bit about how Henry markets. And so for somebody who's been in the practice for about 24 years, and he sees so many patients a day, and I feel like I could only dream about that type of practice, he does share a couple ways that he does some very simple marketing. And I think that I've said these ways before to you. So I'm really excited that he said them too. So maybe you'll hear them in a different way and you'll be able to utilize this information in your own marketing. So tune in and listen to the end and then tune in for episode 50, where guys, that's episode five zero, where we'll be diving into a case review utilizing the Dung system. So Hope you enjoy today's show. And lastly, uh, be sure to subscribe to the newsletter because I'm always putting like really important pieces of information in there that you won't necessarily always get in the podcast. All right. Enjoy the show. So welcome to the show, Dr. Henry McCann. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here with us today. We're going to be talking about a case study. But before we do that... Why don't you tell my audience a little bit about yourself, because they may not be familiar with you. Sure. Um, so I practice East Asian medicine in New Jersey. I'm from the Garden State initially, and I practice, actually, I practice in a wonderful old building that was the original YMCA in the town where I live, where my grandmother and her sisters used to go uh, go swimming and use in shower because they didn't have an indoor plumbing back in the Depression era. I also teach uh, quite a bit, as you know, 
So I do a lot of online teaching with eLotus on the topic specifically, mostly of Dong's acupuncture, but I'm also on faculty at a number of different schools, some at master's level and some at the doctoral level. So I'm a regular faculty at the Pacific College of Health and Science in New York campus. Yes. And you are also one of the teachers at ACCHS doctoral program. Yes, I am. Yes. And ACCHS is where I actually do. So I teach for the OCOM doctoral program. I also teach for Bastyr and I teach Dong's acupuncture at both of those locations. And I think they're all great programs. I'm I'm a really big proponent of basically advanced practice doctoral education. I think it's really important and I think it's vital to our field. I'm somewhat alarmed that some of the schools are starting to drop those programs. You know, it'd be like medical schools saying, well, we're going to stop teaching PhD programs in advanced science topics because we don't care anymore. There's a place for both the doctoral degrees. I know you guys did a, a, a podcast on it. I think it was an excellent discussion, fantastic discussion. And there is a place for both of them, but I do think that having the advanced practice doctoral programs are good. But out of the three programs where I teach, ACCHS has the most comprehensive Dong training. They have the more hours. ACCHS has made a commitment to having much more of a comprehensive education in the system as part of their overall program. So I'm really happy to be part of that endeavor. They're a great program. I I like them quite a bit. So yeah. 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 I believe you you were an OCOM graduate. Were you an OCOM graduate? Yeah, I was an OCOM graduate. We may have crossed paths at some point because I also uh, worked in this in the student clinic, and I worked on Sundays when the doctoral program was treating patients. So, yes, we may, yes, we may have crossed mm-hmm. paths in that in that place. Then, yes, so that's where I am in my professional life. I also work on the regulatory end in New Jersey with the with the acupuncture board, and then I uh, I teach uh, traditional Chinese martial arts as a side gig, I guess, and that's what I do now. I did my training at the New England School of Acupuncture in the Boston area. And then prior to that, I did my undergraduate at Oberlin College in East Asian Studies. And that was my previous life background, so to speak, before uh, going into Chinese medicine. And you've been doing this for a really long time. Yes. Yeah. So I've been in practice. This year will be 24 years. It's one of those things I remember being a new practitioner and thinking, oh, if you know, I can't be, you can't project yourself out at that point. And then when you hit like 20 and I'm you know, one year shy of 25 years and I'm thinking, oh my God, there's so much more to learn in practice and it's just, I'm barely scratching the surface. But yeah, I've been in practice for, for just about 24 years now. I did massage for 20, 20 plus years, but I can't even imagine like this this trajectory of, of hitting a 25 year mark with Chinese medicine. And I think as a new practitioner, when you hear somebody who's been in it for 25 years say that they just barely scratched the surface... It, it kind of makes my insides turn a little bit because obviously <laughs> I'm just like this, God, what do I know? Oh my God, if you're thinking that, oh, holy moly. It's totally fine. You know, I understand where you're coming from, especially as a teacher who works with people just going into the field. Like, I get it. Um, it. It shouldn't though. You know, one of the things that I find invigorating about practicing Chinese medicine, the days I'm in the clinic, I'm in the clinic usually minimum of 10 to 12 hours seeing patients like just back to back. And I still find that there's always a challenge. There's always room to grow. And it's not about the random accumulation of everything you possibly can accumulate in terms of information, but really sort of thinking about things in a deep way and understanding it over and over and over again at different levels. Because it can do that for a lifetime, I find doing this invigorating, right? You know, if it were something that we could master, like, you know, snap of a finger, 
it's not, it's not that interesting. So it stays interesting. And I think that's an important thing as well. So I know it can be daunting hearing that at the beginning, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we're all just students of the medicine, a different, a different place in our studies. And that's really truly what it is. Chinese medicine is so big and so profound that it could take life, multiple lifetimes to master it. And, and if that doesn't excite you about it, then you should go into a different field. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I also feel like even if, even if you're coming at this uh, profession as a second career or mm -hmm. I feel like we all have some set of superpowers typically underneath, like behind us, whether it's the ability to market or the ability to connect with people on a certain level or some of us, like I have, I've had my hands on people for over 20 years. So for mm -hmm. me to connect with my hands is, is paramount. And also for me to be in a meditative state while I'm working, I get far more intel than I would if I was thinking, 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 analyzing. And I have to do both now, right? But, but uh, right. I gain so much information just kinesthetically that I feel like that's one of my superpowers as a practitioner. And sometimes you could be in this field for 20 years and never get that. So I feel like we all have strengths right. that come into the practice. So anyway, Abs I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, and that, that will dovetail into, I think, part of our discussion at some point in that I'm a practitioner of one specific approach to acupuncture most of the time. I mean, certainly I have a very eclectic, having come from the New England School of Acupuncture, I have an eclectic background. So I had as much training in TCM acupuncture as I did in Japanese acupuncture in my initial training. So I was never predisposed to think there was only one way of doing things. And even though I think what I teach is really, the kind of material I teach is really important, it's really clinically useful, it's not the only way to do things. I think that there are lots of different approaches to Chinese medicine that are valid. And it's up to us, each of us, based on our own predispositions, our own interests, our own ability to manipulate the material in a way that becomes skillful, that we have to decide what our approach to Chinese medicine is. And so your background in whatever your background is, if you have more hands-on bodies than someone else, you know, if you don't bring that to your Chinese medicine, it would be a shame. Where other people, that may not be their forte. And, you know, someone who's practicing herbal medicine in a Jingfang perspective it has a different skill set or should have a different skill set than someone who's doing different types of manual therapies, than someone who's doing trigger point acupuncture, and then someone who's doing distant point acupuncture. What your background is and what you bring to it is good. So there's not necessarily one best approach to Chinese medicine. There's one best approach or a small number of approaches for each of us that we have to find that we can really execute masterfully in the clinic, I guess is what I want to say. Yes, and that I think finding that, like taking time to find that in the beginning, taking time to cultivate what lights you up and what classes are fascinating for you and where your innate talents lie. I think that is the just the first couple of years of practice. Absolutely. Right? Ab um, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that is, yeah. I think that's an important part of being out there. And, and the view from 20 some odd years later is there's, we can still find something else that rekindles our interest in a different direction at some point. But yeah, you Absolutely. have to find something that you can latch on to. I have a, a teenager in the house and my son's a teenager and I just heard this, this phrase, FOMO, fear of missing out. Oh, so yeah. I had never, I, I, I never heard this before. 
So I think a lot of us, a lot of, especially a lot of new practitioners have this fear of missing out. Oh, I, I'm not getting this or I'm not getting that. So I have to do everything. It's not necessarily about doing everything. It's about finding what you really are drawn to, what you can really masterfully execute and really plumb the depths of that as best you can. You don't have to do every single technique. You don't have to be as good at acupuncture as you are at herbal medicine. You don't have to do every kind of acupuncture even equally as well in order to really treat patients in a way that is meaningful, uh, profound for them, and just really clinically effective. So yeah, I agree with you. It's a, it's a matter of finding that to some extent. And the first couple of years is good, very good to do that. Yeah. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. I have a feeling that you and I are similar in age, and I'm just going to say this, but I'm having to market a practice now, which means mm -hmm. that I have to do all of the internet stuff, but I am doing yeah. all of this and having a tech company, yeah. having a podcast, it, I need to right. really. And there's this urgency in life now and speed with this, uh, with the internet that it creates a level of anxiety that we're not there yet. And yeah. there always is like this fear of missing out. I think this, yo the younger, the generation now, whoever, whoever's listening probably has mm -hmm. this FOMO and it's utilized in marketing quite a bit. But I just wanted to touch on that because it, yeah. it's a social media construct, I believe, like not completely, but yeah, it pushes, yeah, it pushes I, I, the buttons of FOMO. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's um, turn the corner here and introduce Master Dong's theory. So, you know, there are lots of different approaches to Chinese medicine that have existed throughout the course of time. China is a big place and the history is quite long and the history of acupuncture is quite long. And it's because of that, there have been many different ways or approaches to acupuncture that have come and gone throughout the last two millennia. Um, some of them are still with us, some of them are not with us. Some of them we'll never even know about because they were here at some point and they're no longer here. So Master Dong was a practitioner of acupuncture. He was mostly an acupuncturist, and that's something that, that, that's good to know about him. He did have rudimentary knowledge of Chinese herbal medicine. Um, we know that because we, even in his own writing, we have in his own book, he, it was written by one of his students, basically, uh, at his direction. We have recipes where he combines some herbs with food. So they're like dietary recipes, but there's some simple herbal rem remedies there as well. But mostly he was an acupuncturist. He was born in mainland China when it was still the Republic of China in the early part of the 20th century. And then as a young man, learned acupuncture from his father, right? So he was in a, what we would call a family lineage of acupuncture that was something that was separate from the canonical transmission of medicine that we would characterize by books like the Neijing, the Nanjing, etc. That said, as you'll see, we can still understand Dong's acupuncture through the lens of those texts. And I think doing so actually enhances our understanding of not only Dong's acupuncture, but other systems of acupuncture. But he trained in this family lineage. Uh, most people are familiar or have heard that one of the characteristics of the system is that it uses a different set of points than we use in conventional acupuncture. Now, certainly there are only so many places in the body where you can stick a needle. So some points are bound to overlap from Dong's approach to what I'll call conventional acupuncture. But he has this family lineage that's based on these separate points. He learned from his father. He eventually, in the early years leading up to what would become World War II, 
he uh, joined the Kuomintang Army. This is the Nationalist Army. And in the 1940s, of course, we have the Civil War in China. In 1949, the communists under Mao Zedong take control of mainland China. And if you were in the Nationalist Army and you knew it was good for you, you got out of die. So Master Dong, with whatever family he had left, went to Taiwan. So today we associate Dong's acupuncture as a sort of a Taiwanese approach to acupuncture, mainly because that's where he lived at the end of his life, right? He was originally from mainland China, from Shandong province, which is the northeast of mainland China. So now family lineages, usually you only teach to family members, but for a number of different reasons, we don't necessarily have to go into all of them because it's, it's, it, we don't really know what was going through Master Dong's mind in the 1960s. But at some point in the 1960s, he decides to take students from outside of his family for the first time in whatever, however many generations. According to the family lore, it goes back to the Han Dynasty 2000 years ago. Who really knows? Because it's a family system. But he starts taking students from outside his family. Um, he eventually takes uh, quite a number of students, 70 some odd students were memorialized. So in the Chinese tradition, when the teacher passes away next to his gravesite, his students get together. They put all their names on another piece of stone they put up next to the master's grave. So there are 70, I think, three, 72, 73 people that are listed there. So he, he taught quite a number of students in Taiwan who continued to teach, leaving Taiwan, going back to mainland China, to Korea, the United States, Canada, etc. So that's basically the background of where the system comes from. And what characterizes the system is not only the set of extra points, but a focus on, a, on distant needling. I'm trying to get people to say distant needling rather than distal needling, only because the word distal is an anatomical direction, right? So distal means away from the trunk. In Dong's acupuncture, we do sometimes needle distally, sometimes we needle proximally, sometimes we needle posterior to, anterior to, but we're simply needling away from the site of the disease. Which, by the way, in the early medical classics, is something that was seen as valuable, right? So the fifth chapter of the Suen says, and this is a paraphrase because I don't have the, the text right in front of me, it's definitely from the fifth chapter, says the superior acupuncturist, basically someone who uses needles well, treats right from left, left from right, leads yang from yin and yin from yang, right? So there are all sorts of quotes that we see in the early classical medical literature that prizes this ability to treat not in the location of disease, and that's definitely a characteristic of Dung's acupuncture. So when we analyze it, and we'll get a flavor of the, the analysis shortly, we're looking at what areas of the body have relationships to other areas of the body, right? And so it's all about looking at and determining how we can exploit relationships between body areas, between channels, between tissues of the body, etc., to choose a point that is efficacious in treatment of whatever we're trying to treat. Right? So that's a very, very brief overview. These days, there's a lot, lots and lots of stuff written on the topic that people can avail themselves of. And I imagine that most people coming out of acupuncture school today have at least heard a little bit or seen a couple of the points in their own training. But that's a very short background. I think when I exited school, I got it confused with TANS method because I didn't know anything about either one. Yeah, right. So the balance method is another method of distant, because it's, again, not distal, because it's sometimes it's distal, sometimes it's proximal, et cetera, of distant point needling, where some of the basic principles in balance method were taken from uh, concepts that we see in Dong's acupuncture. Some of the methods in balance method were taken from other sources as well. So the Dr. Tan's balance method is an amalgamation 
of a couple of different sources. Uh, and then, of course, Dr. Tan's own clinical brilliance. And I studied with him for quite a number of years on and off. He was a really a fantastic, charismatic teacher and practitioner who I think did a great service to the acupuncture community in opening people's eyes to a different way of looking at how we can apply needles in the treatment of disease beyond what was the more standard model. Um, but so there are definitely overlapping concepts within the two, mainly because there's quite a bit of balance method that was derived from Dong's acupuncture or from writers who explored Dong's acupuncture in the Taiwanese literature. Now, just briefly, did you co-write a book on Dong's method? Yes. So I have, I have two books currently in print. Um, one of the books I wrote with a fantastic friend of mine and colleague, Hans Georg Ross. And Dr. Ross is in practice in Dusseldorf. He was a professor of neurophysiology at the University of Dusseldorf Medical School. And he himself is a graduate of Vienna, whatever the, the big medical school in Vienna was. So he was initially trained as a Western physician, and he became enamored with acupuncture. And so now in his retirement from teaching, he keeps his medical license so he can keep doing acupuncture. So he was the first person to invite me to teach in Germany. When I would first start teaching the material, I produced hundreds and hundreds of pages of handouts. And he said, well, why don't we write a book? And I said, I guess so. Why not? And so he took all my handouts, basically reworked them. He did all the diagrams. He's a fantastic diagram creator. And the two of us came together and did this book that's an overview of the main points in Dong system and a detailed analysis of how we look at them. My other book in print is a book on bloodletting therapy, and that's called Pricking the Vessels, because that was another interest of mine and did a very important part of Dong's acupuncture initially. I think if you really are practicing Dong's acupuncture, at some point you will have to do bloodletting if you really are practicing the system as a system. But yes, those two books are out there. And I think they're both good introductions. I mean, there are other books certainly on the topic, but I think I'm partial to my own books. What can I say? Of course. And where can somebody find those books? So the distributor for the Practical Atlas of Dong's Acupuncture is Kamwo Herbs in New York City. And people can find them online at kamwo.com, K-A-M-W-O.com. It's a German publisher. But Kamwo is the American distributor, and they always have the newest edition at the lowest price. You can also find mm -hmm. it on Amazon, but sometimes they're old editions, which are fine, of course. But the new edition is the sixth edition we're in right now is, is a significantly expanded edition. The Pricking the Vessels is Singing Dragon Publishers, and that one is easily available on Amazon or from the Singing Dragon website. Okay. Before we start, I have to give you my perception because I, I find it... Um, kind of silly, actually, uh -huh. about Dong acupuncture. So my background is obviously massage, and I worked a lot with athletes, and orthopedic stuff is very natural to me. So it's, my, it's what I sink into. But what, what drew me to acupuncture, interestingly enough, was not some miracle cure of, of my own where I sought out and got this amazing acupuncture healings. It was more because I'm always fascinated with underdogs and with superheroes and with mystical things that blow my mind. And mm. even when I was in school talking about systems, I tripped over it over and over again. Because how can that possibly work? It is so mind-blowing to me. And I continually get really excited, kind of like you said, like there's always something to learn here. As somebody who, who will continue orthopedic acupuncture, I cannot wait to learn the Dung system because 
you can't always treat a 90 year old person locally or should you. Right. And so I'm really, really excited and curious, and I right. can't wait to start this case review with you. You know, one of my favorite teachers when I was at the New England School of Acupuncture was a great guy named Pat Cunningham, but he was hands down one of the best teachers I had in school. So I think that that, that approach certainly is valid, but it's not the only approach, right? So I think it's a weird thought to me, given the fact that we have actually quite a large body of literature on how to use acupuncture in many different ways. For example, in the Neijing, and there's a chapter on treating low back pain. And it gives us, I think, 14 different, I'd have to go back and count, but it's, it's, it's a chapter in the, in the Suen on low back pain. The name is Si Yao Tong, which means on pricking for low back pain. And there's no local treatment in the t- entire chapter, right? So the Neijing's telling us back pain, you don't do local treatment. You do this distant treatment. Not to say that local treatment doesn't work because it does work and it's useful. But if we think that's the only way that we can treat musculoskeletal problems, then it's a weird thought to me because it means that all of our teachers in the past were, were unable to do so. So in many ways, to some extent, it's also, it's also a thought that negates our own tradition of where we come from, which is to me problematic, right? It's useful. And I do it. There's some cases, I will tell you, 90% of the time I do no local needling, but there's sometimes, I think maybe because of my own inability to manipulate the distant needling appropriately, that I do trigger point needling. You know, I love to get a needle into someone's subscapularis as much as the next guy. So it, it's great. It, it's useful, but it's not the only way to go to, about problems. And it's not useful and appropriate for every patient, right? So having a number of tools is, is a good thing. No, and I think it's slow. This is the thing that gets me about it too, is that I, I love it. It's like I said, it just feels very natural to me as a new practitioner. Like I've got that tucked into my back pocket. Like when I was in school, like you're, you're just drinking from a fire hose all the time and you're like, right. okay, how much right. can I memorize? Like how right. I, like how much can I consume right now and get through school? And for me, it was like, yeah, I can't memorize the clock right now, but now right. I can wrap my head around it. And I'm completely fascinated because I took your very beginner course on eLotus. Um, you do this so quickly. It's like mental gymnastics, the ability to jump through all of these different possibilities of let's look at the channels, no, and then let's look at the clock, and then no, now let's look at the the microsystem and what's above is now below, and you're treating the shoulder, now you're going to look at the knee, or like how to flip all of this in your head so quickly. I think that freaked me out in school. And I think that's why I just wasn't strong. <laughs> like, I just wasn't strong yeah. at it. And I'm, st- I'm still not strong at it. But okay, now that you have a comfort zone, Stacy, and you can treat in this way, it's time to go back to the roots of this because this is, right. this is our medicine. This is right. truly our medicine. And I was just intimidated and my just could only handle so much, honestly. So, and, and in, that is the challenge. And, and getting back to this question for new practitioners, the, the eventual challenge is that everything you learn in your basic theory courses is important and all of it is clinically relevant. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been taught. And useful. And useful, absolutely. And just because we can't see its utility right out the bat, it's okay. One of the ways to dip your toes into it is to start exploring and thinking about those connections. So you don't have to think about all of the possibilities all at once. 
whenever you put, so, you know, your, your homework, everyone's homework. You know, I was a high school teacher before I went into Chinese medicine for a while. <laughs> so every time you put a needle on stomach 36, think to yourself, okay, I'm treating stomach 36. I'm treating the Yang Ming channel, which means I'm connecting to the large intestine channel somehow. And every time you put the needle in, just think of that. When you put lung five in, think, okay, I'm also working the spleen tie-in. And we talked about the tie-yang. That's another connection you can think of, right? But just start thinking of those connections one by one by one by one. And eventually, once you start thinking about it, then it becomes easier and easier. So Henry, you have a really robust and interesting blog on your website. Can you talk a little bit about how you use that to develop relationships with both practitioners and with your patients? And is this how you market? Is this your choice way of marketing? So my blogs, I frequently blog about seasonal change. What is the movement of yin and yang in the five phases at any given time in the movement of the universe at large? Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's, it's really quite useful. And I think it works great with Dong's acupuncture together. So, you know, that's certainly an interest of mine. And I blog on seasonal change on what should we, what we can do in different seasons. That's what I found. And I just want to point that out to the new practitioners because your blog is one of the best. Oftentimes when we're trying to create blog posts as new practitioners or social media posts, the season changes are always really fun and people kind of are interested in that. Yeah. It's a really great place to touch. Points with people who are uneducated about Chinese medicine or, or nature. Absolutely. Or, Absolutely. Um, and so and so it's one of the things like, you guys, go take a look at Henry's blog because his is one of the best written seasonal change blogs that I've ever read. And you can gather some really great information from it and um, use it as a launching point for your own stuff. Yes. And what I do is uh, what you see is my blog for other professionals. What I do is I take some oftentimes simplified versions of those posts and I put them in email newsletters to patients, right? Yes. yes and yes. patients love it. I, I never do marketing to patients where I say, oh, I have a new product available. I give them information. Here's an acupressure point to do. I put s- short videos of how to do acupressure on uh, on YouTube that we do from, I teach an online Qigong class for my patients and students. I do it as a free service to my community on a weekly basis. I take little video snippets from that. I take pieces from the blog that are understandable to a layperson, And that's how I marketing that way. The best marketing is educating your patients. It's not saying, oh, I have a new product you should try or a new blood test you should try or whatever. It's uh, just give them information. They appreciate getting it and they'll call you every time I send a newsletter. I get, I got to be careful. I can't send too many newsletters because too many people will call me to come back in for treatment. Yeah. And you have a wait list, yeah. right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so, exactly. so it's educating patients is one of the best marketing tools out there, I think. Well, and you're also utilizing it in multiple different ways, taking snippets, building one big Absolutely. piece and then taking snippets. Yes, this is this is Absolutely. something that I try to teach often. So it's good to hear that you're doing it too. But yes, so tell tell the practitioners really quickly, and this will also be in our show notes, uh, sure. your website address where they can check all this out. Right. So my teaching website, which is where I blog, is asianmedicine.org. So it's a pretty easy website, asianmedicine.org. And there's a blog there. People can subscribe to the blog. Um, then also I, I announce classes there as well. eLotus is where most of my online classes are. Um, so yes. people can always uh, go there and check out if they're more interested in an online course. Although in-person courses are important as well. So people should get themselves to in-person courses if they can. Yeah. 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 So you've given so many gems to new practitioners uh, in so many ways. Henry, thank you. I think it was a great conversation. All right. Thank you so much. 
that's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it. Thank you.